All right, welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind, where we get back and delve into the movies of the near past. The movies of the near past, but also the distant-ish past, too. Sometimes, yes. Yeah. I'm Jason. And I'm Blake. We're gonna. The plan for this podcast is to dive into movies pre two thousand. Kind of take a look at why they were important back then. Dig into the history. Uh, tell you about why you should watch it or maybe why you shouldn't watch it. And then if there's any kind of uh, reboots, remakes, anything like that, we'll kind of tell you about them and whether they're potentially worth a watch. Maybe they're worth watching over the past movies as well highly doubt that but we'll see if we find a case sometimes they work and we'll let you know when they do all right so our first movie that we're getting into here is the thing so the plot of the thing is that a group of u.s scientists have be kind of begun several month long research project in antarctica And when a helicopter with a sniper rifle chasing a sled dog kind of crashes on their doorstep, um, the group of researchers kind of realize that the dog isn't necessarily what it seems. And the other research team behind the helicopter had discovered an alien spacecraft uh, buried deep in the snow for thousands of years. And so things kind of build, the tension kind of builds and escalates as the, the group realizes that any one of them could be infected by this thing and may not be who they seem and they don't know who to trust. Yeah, that's the big part of this is that it's an exploration of the human nature behind trust and um, just how it plays out in like such a crazy scenario. Yeah, this is absolutely a horror movie, and it's kind of based in that fear and that paranoia of of not knowing who to trust. Like, throughout this movie, there's kind of shifting alliances and shifting kind of, of maybe who the leader is and who to follow. Um, Each person kind of breaks down and, like, can't control their emotions at certain points and then they're looking at the other guys and they're like does this guy have it all together or does he not yeah and and what this movie does really well is it's never really clear who is and who isn't the thing and i think that john carpenter the director of this did know as he was going who was the thing and who wasn't um and multiple people can be infected by this thing as well as you're watching this the main thing that's running through your mind is what the fuck (laughs) and that that comes up a lot the characters are thinking it you're thinking it um you don't know like what's gonna happen next yeah so this movie is more for um like who's it for would you say all right, so we're getting into the who is this film for. So my first thought was anyone who's ever thought, I think the good guy wins too much. This is a very dark movie. The word nihilistic gets thrown all over the internet. There isn't really 
a true hero of the story you cut you kind of have some breakouts throughout the movie and and obviously mccready who's played by kurt russell is definitely probably the front runner for hero and for the ladies that's a young kurt russell (laughs) he's looking pretty mean like he he's oh yeah he's a good looking dude back then and even now but like yeah he he was he was just under like the top 80s like action heroes like he was a built dude if you look online some of his other films like big trouble in little china there's there's a lot of kind of correlations to john wayne who was a really famous actor in i believe the 50s and 60s did a lot of westerns and he had a huge impact on on the future of cinema now and kind of like the macho man of movies he was like the smoldering badass yeah so so that's kind of my thoughts in addition this is a horror movie so obviously if you're a horror movie buff like this this movie and i'm going to talk about this a little bit coming up about what things were like when this was released and some issues that it actually had but in my opinion this isn't an alien movie this is a a movie about paranoia and suspense and that kind of mistrust and and the alien is kind of a vessel to push that plot forward basically yeah another thing this movie is very well known for is its practical effects it's like the culmination of the suspense yeah always lines up with these crazy practical effects yeah and and this movie is way ahead of its time it came out in 1982 and a lot of these effects back then obviously no cgi or anything like that so all of these effects were real and and you know like puppets and and the explosions and everything like that are real and that's actually an interesting tidbit we'll kind of get to a little bit later when we get to specifically the effects section very interesting tidbit yes interesting tidbit (laughs) so other fans potentially of this movie are going to be actually it's i don't think this is too much of a limb here but i really thought about this is if you're a fan of like thrillers or suspense films, I think this film really leans into that. Like, sure, you've got your horror and you've got your scares and and the gore, um, as well. But for this movie, like, I'm at the edge of my seat. Like, like there's a few times where I where I kind of yell out at the TV kind of thing. I think if you're a fan of those genres, that this isn't a huge jump for you, really. No, exactly, and. With a bunch of those movies, there's always like these uh, like characters with like really cool nicknames, and this this is packed full of it. Just like the most prime early '80s like nicknames for badasses in the movie. Um, so that's definitely like one really cool thing. Yeah, and like Childs and uh, Windows, Windows, Bennings. It's it's a lot of last names. And if you think back to like our parents' generation, like uh, all of my dad's friends have nicknames. Basically, like no. we don't use that as much in our generation. Not too much. Yeah, and I don't know why that kind of disappeared. Like our parents' generation all had nicknames. Our grandparents' generation all just used like like different names. I think this movie has aged relatively 
well as well. And again, we're going to get into this to the special effects as well. So like I said, horror movie buffs, fans of thrillers and suspense. The other interesting tidbit here is if you're a big Quentin Tarantino fan, then you should absolutely be watching this movie. This movie is a heavily influenced for actually two of his films. Hmm. Um, if you had to guess which two films, which do you think this movie heavily influenced? I'm drawing a blank. Reservoir Dogs, his first movie heavily influenced. Well, I won't say heavily influenced, but it was influenced by this. The Hateful Eight, heavily I influenced. Gonna, I was going to say The Hateful Eight. Yeah, this one, like, you can even draw the line of, of where this movie is connected. Like, you've got Kurt Russell in a leading role, you know, cabin in the middle of nowhere in the winter and shifting alliances and, and all of that kind of mistrust and paranoia. Actually, the, the composer of The Thing, and we'll get into the score later as well, is actually the same composer as the hateful eight composer which is which is kind of interesting there nice. like i i'm sure quentin tarantino was was thinking about all of that when he was compiling the hateful eight in addition there are several other directors that have cited the thing as kind of influencing their work such as guillermo del toro i don't know how to pronounce guillermo it. yeah there we go so bad with names um jj abrams neil blancamp um you know district nine oh, yeah. um that's an, a, a classic alien movie and then obviously quentin tarantino yeah so some some movies um that you may have seen or heard about are alien which this came out very close to the same time yeah it's a and few years after alien so like that's one of the big comparisons for if you're um trying to figure out like what this is like mm -hmm. i would say the first alien movie over the second one aliens it Alien is kind of a space horror kind of, again, that suspense, whereas Aliens is like an action horror. And this one definitely has its fair share of action, like absolutely. And we'll get into that kind of uh, part when we talk about kind of maybe some of our favorite scenes. But it definitely has kind of its its slower moments, kind of that back and forth banter between the characters as they're, as they're trying to figure out who that person really is, if it's yeah. the person that they knew before the start of all this or not so let's talk about maybe what what our thoughts of the movie are so personally i love this movie i the first time i saw it was actually probably last year probably around february 2020 so i don't have nostalgia necessarily for this movie but i was edge of my seat the first time i watched this i I mean, I'm a huge fan of Kurt Russell and the director John Carpenter, so I was a little biased going in. And again, I'm I'm a huge horror fan. I love horror movies, so so it wasn't a huge leap for me. But this is this is easily one of the top three horror movies I've ever watched. It's definitely up there, especially because of just its impact, and that's something that we we're often going to explore within the movies that we watch and talk about on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, the impact is just crazy for what, uh, like, yeah, all the suspense and like the, uh, the building and like everything's kind of in like the perfect place. Like, um, at one point, what's that song? that's like superstitious that like 
huge song. I think it's like. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. You have to look it up. The music even of of this film is it's kind of timeless. Um, basically, think like the Halloween theme song. Very very similar to that. So. I find a lot of 80s movies really date themselves with shitty 80s music, basically. Yeah, but in, with that song, I, I, is it Superstition by um, Stevie Wonder? But basically, like, it comes in. Like, you've heard a little bit of the um, composer scenes that build up the action. Yep. Or the suspense. You follow along the dog inside once he gets inside the cabin with everybody mm-hmm. you follow along the dog and then i think his name is Nalls. he puts on this song he's like uh dancing around on like rollerblades throughout this arctic right, facility right. and he's playing superstitious and the camera right. is, is tracking the dog yeah and you're, like, you're like something's going on here like you already know the dog is a little bit um like off but you don't know what's going on yet yeah, absolutely. Like the dog is absolutely central to the movie, and and I'll spoil favorite scenes a little bit. The intro of this movie is absolutely fantastic. Like you've got a helicopter in the middle of Antarctica flying through the air, like with a sniper hanging out the window, trying to take out the sled dog. You're like, what the hell is happening yeah, right yeah. now? Uh, just even starts throwing grenades out the yeah! door trying to get the dog. I was like, obviously they were in a rush to get him, but I like while I was watching, I was like, why don't they just like drop some meat with poison or something? Like this doesn't <laughs> seem efficient. <laughs> I mean, you got a helicopter chasing after you. I don't think that dog's stopping for anything, whether it's an alien or not. He looked kind of happy while he was running. Like the. He's not the best actor, this dog. But, <laughs> but actually, he he turns he grows as a character because he actually like they filmed it just perfectly at certain scenes where it's like it's like something's wrong with this dog. <laughs> it's it's really interesting because back then, again, no CGI. That dog would have been trained to do every one of oh, those yeah. scenes, um, and and actually. Uh, that's kind of what I find interesting about the start of this movie is, like you said, when we start to follow the dog as it kind of moves through the compound. Mm. And and actually, when uh, you see the silhouette of, of the person, with the, the room that it walks into. Yeah. So that's actually something that's really interesting about this movie is I, I the first time I watched this, I had no idea who was what basically. Like I don't think I could have told you or had any educated guesses. The second through watch through, it's about a year and a half later. I've, I'm starting to follow along with maybe who might be infected or maybe when they got infected. So so I I think this is a film that you can rewatch and get something out of each time there was even guesses as to who i maybe thought was the thing and i was completely wrong second watch through really and the characters are going through the exact same um mindset where like they're they're questioning who it is and where like who got got first and like you're sitting along like watching and you're like you just have no idea yeah that's 
that's something that they really do at the end or that they really do well at the end of act one i would say where the main biologist kind of realizes that that's a 75 percent chance that already one of them in fact is infected so there's not even really a chance for them to respond to what's happening so that that mistrust is built in almost immediately really yeah so we don't want to talk about kind of traditional rating scales so like i said i love this movie what's what's your kind of thoughts then I really, really enjoyed it as well. And I did get some like nostalgic vibes from Mm -hmm. like just watching like other movies that I've enjoyed from the same period. Right. So it was, it was a a good watch and like I got into it right away. There's like this classic like bass music that kicks in like right when you see the helicopter. It's very tribal. Yeah. Yeah. And like it just um, really gets you right in the mood and, um, when you're like watching an older movie, like sometimes you have to get in that mind frame of you're watching an older movie. Yep. And um, this one, like once you get there, it just flourishes. And and with this film, it just dives right into the action and and right into the plot. There isn't really you know that that first thirty minutes of building the characters or you know like the backstory. Yeah, backstory or like plot that's going to be relevant later it's it's just right into the meat and the potatoes we're following the characters as as they start to clue into things and and kind of uh realize what's happening um and what's already even happened at this point in time partner scale or or how much your partner paid attention to this film she was studying at the time but at a certain point like at the perfect point mm-hmm. she turned around and just looked at the tv and was I have like I wrote it down what she said, but like basically she's like, oh, gross. <laughs> I think I know exactly what moment you're talking about. Yeah, and that's exactly like the the moment that I first saw what was going to be happening and right. saw the uh, practical effects come in. Yeah, absolutely. Jess did not watch this movie basically with me. She sat on the couch. She's uh, somebody who's heavily distracted distracted while we're watching movies she'll have her laptop going her phone going probably two or three other things on the go at once and so i kind of i can judge her movie by how well she's enjoying it by how many things she has going on so with this film it was just the laptop she never closed it the whole time and part of that was because she was intimidated intimidated mm-hmm. by just the suspense and a little bit kind of the gore as well this yeah, is yeah. this is a gory movie at parts I'm not not throughout the movie like it's no saw no but but it has its moments and it it's like perfectly placed and it just builds up all this suspense and then hits you with this like yeah. it's not crazy gore but it's crazy something and you're like what what the hell is that yeah yeah um, yeah i know that uh, if annabelle wasn't studying she would be asking so many questions about like mm-hmm. she'd be like who like who is it and that's how i could tell and like she would be so into this one yeah just absolutely. asking all those questions um yeah when when is the perfect time to watch this movie in your opinion 
definitely like a Friday, Saturday night in. Probably need like some some whiskey or something like that. Yeah. To go down with it, especially just like McCready yeah, having the whiskey. Yeah. McCready is always uh, like I th- I was as soon as I saw that he was drinking so much I was like he's gonna be saved from his drinking or something like that mm-hmm. and like it's constantly like there's all these little details and like you're like like what's going on will this pan out this way or will this be, even be like a factor um and I was yeah I saw him drinking that whiskey constantly and I was like like maybe he'll be saved by it you know what funny enough like once you watch a lot of movies you kind of start to see where those plot points are going to hit yeah. or when I can't remember what the movie's called that new one with Chris Pratt on Prime but there's a point as where he's a teacher and there's this one kid who's obsessed with volcanoes in in the thing and they really ham it up and it's like okay obviously this kid's gonna save the day with volcanoes or something the tomorrow war yeah the tomorrow war like i i find a lot of movies especially in the 2000s really point that out to viewers like they they really lead the viewers along for for those plot points which are going to come up later which which until you brought this up i really didn't even think about his drinking and and how that eventually did kind of come back full circle yeah that's really interesting yeah yeah like as like once you've watched like a certain amount of movies and you get really into movies as i'm sure blake's partner knows it gets a little annoying how often you see these things and like i'm always like oh this is gonna happen yeah and then it happens and that's that often does happen with these like after the 2000s movies but this one like i didn't have like i i was wrong in every like not every time but like i was wrong a lot which i appreciated because i i was going into this thinking it's an old movie and like i've seen things that are like inspired by it um i wasn't expecting to be so shocked so that's Mm. where like this movie really holds its own yeah and some parts just really unsettled me as well, but in yeah. a good way, in a yeah. good way. Yeah. So my thoughts of, of when you want to watch this movie, I, I really thought about this one hard and I don't think this is a Halloween movie. You know, it's a horror movie. We're watching it, releasing this before Halloween, but I actually think the perfect time to watch this movie is during a dark stormy night, like maybe middle of winter. If, if you're so lucky to be in Canada in a big snowstorm, it's gotta be after nine o'clock lights are dark. You know, you turn off all the lights in the house. So maybe, maybe you put your dog in the other room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the shadows are just kind of creeping in kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's kind of my my perfect that would be ideal. experience. Yeah. yeah. So so that's where I'd kind of recommend it. One, one line I would love to say at that point is yeah. um, the helicopter just crashed on the base mm-hmm. and um, like everything kind of settled down once they like put out the fire and everything. And I forget who said it. But one of them was like, first goddamn week of winter. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that is the time to watch this movie. The yeah. first snowfall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's kind of preparing you for the rest of winter and being snowed in. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to kind of bring this up a little bit. 
I I think there's something to be said about the, watching this movie in 2021 during the COVID area a little bit, where we're isolated. There's this mysterious kind of disease that's infecting yeah, people. You yeah, don't know who's infected, accurate. who's not infected. There's there's a lot of paranoia and and mistrust with with you know figures of authority even. Mm. Um, so. I think you can kind of draw a lot on them the current times, um, for better, for worse. I think that maybe might rub people a little bit the wrong way right now. Like if, if you want an escape from things happening right now, mm. I don't know that this is the movie for you necessarily. This isn't happy fun times kind of movie. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. So, so we've kind of talked about, a little bit about this but let's get into the theme a little bit so obviously it's it's a horror movie it's it's all about the paranoia and the mistrust like i said i really don't see this as an alien movie i i think the alien is a great plot point because you don't have to have the alien here let's say same scenario and the research group has found some sort of virus in the ice buried yeah. down there, 2,000, 10,000, 100,000, 65 million years ago kind of thing. As well, I think this film does a really good job of kind of getting that feeling of the isolation and how the group responds to that isolation and the knowledge of that not everyone who... Th- who they know is who they say they are. So so one thing that I realized probably around the midway point of the movie is that every there's no spot in this movie and maybe a couple of minor points where a character makes a decision that's either horribly stupid or out of character. Yeah, like the um there is a lot of just pure reaction going on and mm-hmm. you can tell it's because like they're they're they have heightened emotions mostly from the isolation and then yeah. you add all this chaos in and like like there are certain explosions where you're like um well it just makes sense yeah it, it just everything makes sense like i never was frustrated with any of the characters or their motivations throughout this movie i i would contrast that with uh like the walking dead of recent yeah. where you, you know i watched that show for too long i, I didn't finish it I, I don't even know how many seasons i got into it but it got to a point i don't even know which season maybe season by season 6 i was frustrated on an on an episodic basis by characters making decisions outside of their character didn't make sense based on past experiences or the circumstances just to drive the plot forward whereas i never really felt like a character was making a decision just to drive the plot forward really yeah like the movie did a really good job of like like it all it all made sense and nothing had to be explained. Yeah. Like anything that the characters do or say, mm-hmm. it's like that's exactly what would happen if like you or I were in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. I I loved when the biologist realized kind of the the worldly impact of this kind of discovery and completely sabotages the base in order to ensure that what they found doesn't leave antarctica 
Yeah, yeah, that was like his um, role in everything was just so interesting because you're like, like he kind of disappears at a certain point and like he's crazy at a certain point, but he mm. makes complete sense too because of like what he knows. Yeah, exactly, and even kind of the the back and forth between you know the the diff changes in alliances and who to trust, like. In the same position, I probably would do what every single one of these characters did really at the time. Like, like they were making intelligent decisions based on the information that they had at, at that time. Yeah, yeah. We haven't really explained, like, like, imitation is the alien's game. Yeah, that's true. Basically, the the alien, the thing, the thing, as you'll have it, infects you through your blood, and then over time, basically assimilates you. Is that the proper term? Yeah, like I would say, it just replicates you inside itself mm-hmm. because, um, at certain points, you see it replicating multiple versions at the same time. Right. Yeah, and it takes on the host's appearance um, as well. Like, if it goes full alien, there are still parts of the host that it still shares, basically. And it can keep those traits. Like, mm-hmm. there, at no point did we see, um, like, uh, a spider get replicated. Yeah. But then it had these, like, crazy legs. Yeah. That, like they were made out of dog bones yeah or human bones and like wow it just gets crazy one of one of my favorite scenes i'm going to bump this specific scene up a little bit is when bennings the the kind of the guy with the red hair gets infected that scene is easily one of my most memorable scenes it's haunting when and, and so this is kind of me interpreting things a little bit, but he kind of runs out into um, in, into the outside in, a, in the middle of a blizzard at night. And, and I kind of see that as, as that little part of himself realizing what's happening and trying to get away to kind of help um save the others save the others basically and so when everybody goes outside and they're standing around him and you know his his arms haven't fully finished developing back any human arms and he kind of looks up and his his face is like haunted basically and and he just lets out that scream that screech oh man it's it's not human it's not it's like a mix of every animal sound possible oh that that moment was one of the core moments that shook me in this film yeah which like it especially because like one of the um main things so the the thing Mm -hmm. it replicates or imitates and it then tries to fit back in with those replications so that it can continue infecting and integrates back in it integrates and then all it all it wants to do is survive, and yeah. that's that's the point I was trying to make. Is yeah. that um like no matter what, it will always try to survive. Mm-hmm. It's like it's the only one left, or it knows it's the only one left, or the only one on Earth, and it's it's survived for I think like a hundred thousand years in the ice. Oh man. Let's let's get into the effects and and the filming of this little bit. 
So I've already said this. It's pre-CGI, so all of the the effects that kind of take place throughout this were were actually kind of there present with the actors like the actors didn't have to guess what was happening in front of them except for one scene which i'll get to in a sec um but but there's like for example there's a scene where somebody's arms are ripped off and this is easily the most memorable scene of the movie like that whole like chunk yeah yeah so so the way that that was filmed was they hired a double amputee to film that scene no way yeah and so they had like attached like those fake prosthetic arms to Mm. him and had like him rip them off his body basically in that moment which is amazing that and they and part of the excitement of this movie and and of older movies in general is is you can't just go to post-production and just cgi whatever you want you have to think about how you're going to present what you want to present and how you're going to make that realistic like I would say a lot of the special effects that take place in this are are better and more realistic looking than a lot of the effects in modern movies. But yeah, yeah that that scene is wild. Yeah, like with like with like newer movies you have that uncanny valley feeling, but mm-hmm. these felt like more realistic just because it was real stuff and like how the practical effects artist made those things is still beyond me like that's that's like extreme like talent and preparation and um just like so well thought out they and they spent a large part of the budget i think somewhere around the realm of a million to two million dollars just on the special effects alone and and you know Movies today have a production budget of like $200 million, but back then, that's like a a once in a 10-year movie, like a once a year movie. Like this this movie's budget at the time was really only around $15 million. So yeah, so Rob Botton was the special effects creator for the thing. So other movies that he kind of did were Robocop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Seven, and Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Um, so so this guy just has like a storied history of, of making these amazing special effects. The other kind of thing that I wanted to get into with w- how they filmed was where they filmed. Like they actually did film this in Alaska and BC. So, so, so even like the snow and their location like that was that was really like real at that point and and filming that in that remote area definitely would have added to the vibes of of the actors and 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 made things probably even easier for them to kind of associate with with their characters yeah when they were like coming in from the cold it looked like they were really coming in from the cold like yeah not not just their like the way they were acting but like the um like all the ice in their beard and everything like it was just like nothing really pops you out and you're like that well that doesn't look real yeah except for like the grotesquities of the actual mm-hmm. practical effects like some people might look at those and say like the first thing that happens is you're like 
what the fuck? Like, like yeah. that's that's disgusting. The like, shock like it factor. shocks you. Like the the way he like they created the what they did to these um bodies and these aliens and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it it takes you like it takes you aback, and then if you like pause and look at it for a second, you're like, okay, it's a little dated, but it gets you first before you think that. Honestly, I'm going to kind of wrap up this segment a little bit here, but for me, the, the special effects hold up. Uh, I would give it a nine out of 10 for special effects. Like, you know, like maybe you get George Lucas in for like a little bit of CGI touch-ups here and there and, and not even huge ones, just like little minor details, but overall, like the arm amputation scene, like head crawler. Oh yeah. Like even at that moment, Jess is you know, looking up from her laptop, mouth, jar to the floor, yeah. like, I'm yelling at the TV, like, laughing. Just, you know, I, I can't imagine being in a theater oh. with with a dozen, two dozen people who have never seen this film in that moment. Yeah, seeing this release in uh, theaters would be just the most insane experience. Yeah. Like, for th- like imagine what people have seen up until 82 like the only thing is the chest burster scene yeah. from alien mm-hmm. and this is just like a um like a perfection of that absolutely absolutely and and we'll get a little bit into the history of when this film came out later but definitely way ahead of its time especially in the special effects like they they spare no expense in in the terms of the special effects actually stepping back for a minute there is one other special effect that i do want to tell you about the explosion scene they actually used it was real explosives. They had a bunch of assistants going into the scene and clicking like play on all of the cameras so that the and then they all had to run out of oh, there shit. as fast as possible before the explosions went off to get that that scene in there. Like they blew up the whole place really in real life and then they used some puppets for the actors in that moment. Mm. and But the interesting thing is afterwards, they used the blown up compound for the Norwegian other oh, base. Oh, no yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so smart. So smart. They figured they saved like 250 grand doing it that way, basically filming it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just perfect planning. Perfect planning. Absolutely like every, perfect. Planning. Every little detail of this movie, from blowing up the whole, mm-hmm. se- like the whole set at the right time, and then refilming, reusing it for the beginning. Like wow. That's so. So that's also another interesting little tidbit for this movie. They had obviously use a storyboard when you're doing a movie. But there's things that are going to change throughout. Mm. But with this film, they almost shot for shot copied the storyboard. Like, they knew what they were doing going into this film. All seemed very deliberate. Yeah. So, like, that's cool to hear that 
like it really was that close. Well, and and that's kind of the thing is when John Carpenter started with this before they went north into to shooting on location, they did extensive kind of rehearsals prior to that. Hmm. And so that's actually an observation that he made in these rehearsals. And this was expensive at the time and and it was kind of almost even frowned upon to do this much rehearsals prior to. But he noticed that that during the rehearsals there there was too much kind of men kind of standing around talking and so so he actually cut that down for the final film and made sure that it was like a tight production basically and that the things were always driving forward yeah it kept its pace the whole time yeah, there, it really doesn't slow down. Like, it starts with a helicopter chase, and it just goes, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into memorable scenes a little bit. Tell me about your favorite scenes. You know, obviously, a little bit of minor spoilers here a little bit. We're not yeah. going to talk about the ending just yet. Don't worry. But tell me tell me what your favorite scenes were. This is your this is side note. This is Jason's first time watching this film. This is my second time, so... Within the first few minutes, I was, like, getting into the vibe and everything, and then I see the dog, and, like, I kind of made a joke in my head. I was like, like, we have to tell people who are going to watch this to tell their girlfriend, oh, there's a dog in the beginning. <laughs> and then um, <clears throat> and then I said that, and then they just start fucking shooting at him. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And then... Um, yeah, so, like, that whole dog Oh, man, scene, like, the opening scene is just, like I said, amazing. If... If you're not, like, instantly kind of intrigued by that opening scene, this movie might not be for you. Yeah. Action and suspense movies might not be for you. Yeah, and, um, yeah, then the Norwegians start just going crazy. And, yeah, and, the panic and the fear. Yeah, and, and you, you, like, they're speaking Norwegian, and you have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and then that, that quote, first goddamn week of winter <laughs> love that quote. yeah i okay let's let's rewind a little bit here on theme what did you think about the very intro showing the alien spacecraft flying into the earth do you think that did okay, i not see that so that's that's in the intro it's in it's in like uh like while the probably, credits are playing probably right before the or sorry right after the opening credits it you see this alien spacecraft fly into the earth basically and so i thought about this a little bit throughout the movie as well and i think it was smart of them to show right off the bat we're dealing with an otherworldly being because like i said i don't think this is an alien movie i think this is a movie about paranoia and mistrust and kind of that isolation so yeah Yeah, so it's like the alien is just a tool to get to that human um experience right so they just show it, get it out of the way. I I apparently missed that little <laughs> scene. I was probably getting a drink or something. Other other memorable scenes from you? I would say right when the dog splits open. Yeah, like that was you. Like I was expecting something to like happen in the next <laughs> few minutes, and like you see the buddy brings the dog into a dog pen with all these other dogs, mm-hmm. and then the dog's just staring at the wall. And I was like, oh, something's going to happen. I, I don't know what. And all and then of the other dogs started. are spooked at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. They know something's gone. They built up that suspense. And you're like, when's it going to hit? And I was still 
expecting it to hit like soon and then it just hit before i was like really ready for it it just hit like timed it perfectly and then um that kind of like set the idea like this is what you're gonna see the seeing the the first alien that the norwegians pulled up and they brought back Mm -hmm. the like the two faces melded together right oh like, that, that was, was so gross yeah yeah like they just calmly do an autopsy on it like th- like this is just like part of their job <laughs> yeah and they're like yeah it, it's human well at that point <clears throat> you know the the norwegian team has tried to burn this thing right yeah so so at that point you know it's not outside of the realm of possibility um actually this kind of brings me back to the effects a little bit the flamethrowers mm. so i had to look this up because this is a thought that i had during the movie you know when i'm trying to critique it a little bit and mm-hmm. think about it that's really the only thing that maybe somewhat feels a little out of place like why does a research team in antarctica need a flamethrower so i so i looked this up actually and there's two parts to this there's actually if you're paying attention there's two flamethrowers in the film the first one is essentially um a a weed removal flamethrower like you can buy these on the market which is kind of amazing side note and what they would use those for in antarctica as well would be to like burn the ice off of like a plane's wings or something like like that melt melt doors that are have been exactly or or like a pipe that bursts or something exactly so so there is a use for that one now the other flamethrower is a real and true flamethrower essentially what it comes down to is just cool factor like they just want to put something awesome in the film and that was the way to go if you want to justify why it's in the film thinking about the period where we're in the cold war you know this is probably an old military base prior to it becoming a research facility because it's huge yeah it's a huge facility and and throughout the film there are in the background military equipment in there so it's not outside Mm. of the realm of possibility that it could be there but for the most part it's cool factor another interesting theory i read online was that childs one of the main characters Mm. is the mechanic of the group and maybe he just took one of these weed whacker flamethrowers and made it into an awesome flamethrower just for the fun of it basically yeah Yeah, because they had a lot of time on their hands oh so much time like the uh seeing them just like hanging out before things started getting crazy yeah it was like yeah these guys are bored like they're isolated well Um, think about it like mccready played by kurt russell he's their uh flight guy basically he has nothing to do the entire time they're there essentially every time that they are like should we go up on the chopper and then one other guy's like no it's too it's too crazy outside right Mm -hmm. now he's like no Let's go. Like, I'm bored. <laughs> there are going to be certain people in, in in this team that they're going to be mm-hmm. invaluable, but not all of the time. Like, yeah. the op- one of the opening scenes is McCready, like, just hanging out, getting hammered, and playing chess, yeah. basically. Yeah. I saw a little um, reference, potentially, to The Shining, which came out two years Interesting. earlier. Interesting. When they go to the Norwegian camp, and, huh. like, they're trying to figure out what's going on, there's a axe in the door. 
and that oh, kind of comes up again. But yeah, there's it an, does come there, up again. Yeah, I did get the shining vibes at that moment. Yeah, You're right. Yeah. That's a good point. Like all these hard hitting cultural movies, they always get referenced today. They they saw what was going on. They were like, like let's throw that in too. Oh yeah, absolutely, cool. absolutely, and that's where. We'll get into prequels, sequels, and reboots a little bit later, but the original Alien was heavily influenced by the novella that The Thing is based off of as well. So people around that time, you know, I looked it up, uh, it was about three years before that. So, so you know, you've got, you've got a little bit of a reference point. You've got a, maybe a callback to a couple of years ago in some scenes, like you said, the mm. chest burster scene and kind of moving back to the memorable scenes, like the arms rip off scene. Like that scene is burned mm. into my mind forever. My actual favorite scene, I think, mm-hmm. and that I think like perfected like the suspense to the uh, payoff ratio mm-hmm. is the testing the blood scene. So, which, which part exactly? So, um, at first they they had this uh, biologist who's like, we have to test the blood. Yeah, who's gonna do it like scientifically? Yeah, and then that whole plan gets botched. Yeah, and McCready has to like he he's not a he doesn't know what he's doing but he's like let's let's he just try theorizes something yeah, based yeah. on like observations yeah. again just knowledge that they had based on the current experiences yeah, yeah. so he gets a, a wire really hot and he gets every like he slits everyone's thumb puts it in a little petri dish yeah. like it's about to be scientific and all he does is like burn a hot wire yeah. and put it into the blood which they they had assumed would react yeah. violently if they And there's were a reason for this. There's yeah. a reason for this. So we won't delve into why and it and it it explains all of that, but And like that was like the first time where you're like, okay, finally we're going to find out who. Yeah. And, and he tests the first one, nothing. Tests the second one, nothing. And then I I don't know if it was the third or the fourth, but like by that point I was like me myself and everyone else that was tied to a couch yeah. was thinking like this isn't even going to work. Yeah. And then as soon as I said that in my head <laughs> it just fucking happened. Like, oh man. And up. and the best part of that is is the entire movie you're building who you think is infected at that point and that's really the moment where all of your theories about what's happening are really put to the test. Yeah, like um, validated or yeah. um or like it, and it brings up more questions too, but Exactly. Yeah. Like this is again, this is the second time I've watched this movie. It's been a while, but I had I had my guesses wrong still in in that scene. Like mm. there were people who I was like there is no possible way that this person is not infected. Yeah, because like each of them was like like I'm not infected that guy is. Yeah. And he's and it's just like some of it's just based on like biases about what the person was like before this whole experience yeah. or like they just like maybe that like were grading at certain times and then they went off and did something alone and the one guy who kind of disliked that guy was like that guy's got it yeah that, that guy's a thing yeah there there's definitely some preconceptions between the characters that influence their decisions for sure for sure yeah sure. i i didn't even have that one 
uh, on the list of my mem- most memorable scenes. But yeah, no, absolutely one of the most memorable scenes. I had like the arm ripoff scene, the open air with the helicopter. And then uh, the other one is the ending scene, the excitement and, mm-hmm. and just the way it ends. And we're going to get into that. Don't don't worry. We're not going to do sp- too many spoilers before the end, even though this movie came out 40 years ago next yeah. year. But we'll we'll get to that. But the ending, oh man. If you haven't seen this film, you are in for a ride. Yeah, yeah. Beginning to end. Absolutely. All right. People you may know. Obviously, I think I've said this before. This is a John Carpenter uh, film with Kurt Russell starring. One of my favorite directors of all time, matched with one of my favorite actors. And and these two just have a really great chemistry together. Two other great films that they, they did together was Big Trouble in Little China and Escape from New York. Mm. The, these two actually kind of bounced a lot of ideas off each other. Kurt Russell had a had a huge impact on this movie as well. So let's talk about each of the actors and maybe a couple of surprises that you might know from other films. So Kurt Russell, first and foremost, you know him from, and this is movies post-2000 for all you noobs of old movies. So he was most recently in the Fast and Furious franchise as Mr. Nobody. Yep. I didn't, I haven't watched the new one. Yeah, he's been in the last four or five movies uh, as a reoccurring character. Hmm. He's John Ruth in The Hateful Eight again. Big Quentin Tarantino film. Obviously, after watching this and watching that, you're going to see the connections there. And then for you Marvel fans, he's Ego in the Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So Chris Pratt's father. In the- and he played that so well. Oh, so, so well. If you want to see more of him, watch this movie. Yeah, Watch absolutely. And th- and this is Kurt Russell in his younger years at his prime. Bone Tomahawk. What is that? That's one of his lesser known and somewhat newer movies. And it's very much like going back to his roots in movies like The Thing. Have a watch of that. Someone gets split down the middle starting at (laughs) their uh, lower parts. Nice. All right. What's it called? Bone Tomahawk? Bone Tomahawk. Jesus. Very good movie. Uh, Grindhouse and... Um, bulletproof. Sorry, death proof. Oh yeah, death proof's a good one. That's another Quentin Tarantino. He actually is a part of a lot of Quentin Tarantino films. That might have been his first, but he also plays a part in Once Upon a Ho- Time in Hollywood. So parts here and there. You might have seen him as the Santa Claus, as well. Which one? The Christmas cl- uh, Chronicles, and they're actually pretty decent. They, huh. Like have a keep an eye out for it uh, around Christmas. I could see him being a good Santa. He's got that large, like fill a room kind of personality that yeah. could fit a Santa Claus. Yeah, and like like the naughty Santa Claus, where like his wife is like, "Don't follow what he says or does or whatever." Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So let's talk about John Carpenter. So again, one of my favorite directors. 
He famous for making movies through the 70s through 90s and and not so much after that and we'll get into that. But mostly known for his horror and sci-fi action movies. And here's kind of the thing, like I said, he his most famous movies were made through the 70s through 90s. So if you don't watch old movies, you've missed out on half a dozen films by him. They're absolutely incredible. Most notably, the original Halloween movie. Very timely because a reboot has just been released of that. But he was the creator of Halloween and wrote the theme song for Halloween, which is probably if not the most known halloween song like top three it's definitely i would say it is number one but um yeah we'd have to check into that yeah absolutely all right surprise actor child's Played mm-hmm. by Keith David. He played Elroy in the sixth season of Community. Doesn't look like you've watched Community. Nope. He I've has seen some. He he has been in no less than three films every year since the year two thousand. This guy is a workhorse. He ha- he also has an extensive voice acting career, which may be why he kind of is able to do so much acting. You know, he, he just goes into the studio and records his part. But you may know him as Bolo in Final Space, as well as several voices of Adventure Time. As soon as I saw him, I was like, I know this guy. His voice is just so unique and memorable so you'll you'll know him by his voice absolutely and and really that's it afterwards there's about just i think there's 12 actors in this film and and all of them have various levels of notoriety but those are really the main two that anyone post 2000s is going to know of yeah, like most of the people I did not recognize. Yeah. Uh, there was like a very specific scene where, uh, you know, like the the like the guy who was in charge before everything started happening. Yep. Um, th- like he looked out the window and shot the uh, f- like the one Norwegian. Yeah. There, I froze the frame for a second because I was like, no way is that uh. Christoph Waltz. It, it, it was not him. <laughs> no. But like there was one scene where I thought it was. And then uh, I forget the guy's name right now, but the guy who's like uh, best friends with the doggos. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Clark. Yeah, Clark. Um, he, at one scene, he looked like John Krasinski. And in another scene, he looked like um, uh, Indiana Jones. He had a hat on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, otherwise, nobody else i i've recognized that's fair so interesting little tidbit here casting wise the biologist blair the way that they cast him is they wanted somebody who was forgettable so that you were kind of forgot about him throughout the film because he kind of pops up here and there but it kind of allows john carpenter to have things with him going on in the background and he kind of just evades your memory here and there kind of yeah thing, because which is interesting because the blair gets sent out into um like a, a shack because yeah. 
he first figured it out. Yeah. And um that he was alone and the it longest. breaks him. Yes. The idea of of what this means mm-hmm. breaks his mind. And he knows so much and then he, he gets put out into the um the cold basically in in the shack mm-hmm. and the rest of the characters keep doing stuff and you're like you kind of forget about Blair. Yeah. And then um they go check on him again and then like you you're like oh th- yeah I forgot he's out there. Yeah. And then uh you forget about him again and he pops back up and so that's cool they they were looking for someone that filled that role and he did it perfectly. Absolutely. All right, I think it's time to take a look back at the times. And this is a really interesting segment where you're going to learn about what happened when the film came out. Was it loved? Was it hated? In most cases, these films are going to be films that had wide acclaim or where maybe audiences or critics loved it when it came out and it maybe it faded a little bit into obscurity. However, this one, complete opposite. And we'll... Uh, let me get into that. So, film drops June 25th, 1982. This is after the release of E.T., another hugely important movie of the 80s, June 11th, 1982. So, you know, you've got about two weeks uh, to watch E.T. and then and then this comes out. So, so think of the contrast of those two films. E.T. is a, a family-friendly movie. I can't imagine more than eight and up PG. Um, they, didn't, they didn't care about that back then, though. There was like six-year-olds going to that. Yeah, So, <laughs> but here's the thing. Think about this. Think about taking your family to E.T., this happy, like, projecting a positive look at a like- visit from a UFO and then two weeks later not fully understanding what you're getting into with this film you would be shocked could you imagine taking an (laughs) eight-year-old to see this film like this this is a I don't know like 16 plus I think oh yeah so so there's that to think about in addition during the time public sentiment was was kind of negative a bit dark this is 1982 june we're a year into a year and a half long recession at this point in time so people are looking to go to the movies to escape they're not Mm -hmm. they're not looking for a movie like this dark and nihilistic basically and and you're not gonna get that out of this yeah, and just to go back to the little kid thing. Yep. Um, the thing before this movie was like it is a Marvel character. What? The thing is a Marvel character, oh! so kids would have known about the thing. He's in the Fantastic Four number one. Oh, the you're thing. right. He's a big yes, uh, like rock creature. Yes, so yes. so like let's say you did have like your you brought your little brother to the um ET release and then he's like, "Oh, there's a the thing is coming out. It must be about uh like the Fantastic 4 guy." Yeah. And then you bring him back for this and he oh, he would be wrecked. As well, audiences were not prepared for the level of gore in this film. Like, by today's standards, it's probably still even on the more visceral sides. And it's not a lot of scenes that really have that, but the the scenes where it is visceral are are really impactful. Absolutely. Another very interesting tidbit here. This was released on the same weekend, same day, as Blade Runner. Oh no. 
Yeah. That would have tanked this. Yeah. However, now something else to consider here. Blade Runner was also released to mixed reception. However, if you think about it, you know, we're, we're peak summer here. There's probably 12 other movies out at this time. Mm-hmm. And you've got three sci-fi movies that you're competing with. And like I said, I don't view this as an alien movie per se, but that's what it would have been marketed as, oh, yeah. basically. So, so interesting to see that this movie was released the same day as another absolutely iconic film in the sci-fi kind of space. And like I said, this movie is kind of different from a lot of other films we're going to be reviewing over the next few months, where this movie was released and it was hated when it came out. And part of it, again, people compared it to E.T., which is naughty. That's like comparing baseball to oranges (laughs) and there was actually a magazine that Hmm. came out at this time and said is this the most hated film of all time absolutely negative press for this when you look back at like the first um movies to come out that did something so crazy they were all hated i can't think of blade runner easy uh, came out mixed reception now revered as an absolute classic yeah no it's, it's kind of interesting to see a movie first originally panned and and actually this movie performed so bad it it did make back its budget however the way the movie math works you pretty much have to make back like double your budget because half the money goes to the movie theaters essentially so it it didn't even essentially make enough money to break even and it had a significant impact on john carpenter's career after that which which really upsets me because he's one of my favorite directors and it took him three years to speak about this film basically he was so upset and he said like he he did say that he lost confidence on this film and in addition he he lost out on on film deals because of this because it was so hated at the time it came out he had a film deal with universal and they decided it was less risky to just pay him out of his deal than give him any more filming opportunities wow yeah mind-blowing he also was signed on to direct Stephen King, a Stephen King adoption of Firestarter, which he lost because of this film, which is really interesting because Firestarter also has a ter- had a terrible rating when it came out. I don't think it's really received much more from that since then. And even Stephen King has said that it's one of his worst adoptions that he's ever seen. Wow. I bet, I bet John Carpenter could have done something real good with it then. Yeah, I would like, have loved to have seen yeah. what he was going to do with that film because he was already in the process of that Mm -hmm. i i believe it was that film where where they threw out everything that he had done up to that point for it basically and and started fresh so Hmm. kind of kind of crazy to to see what can kind of come out of of the reception of of films yeah like if the if he released that this today it would be um like everyone would be like yeah that's like that's normal to see at a theater if i'm going to a scary movie like i should expect to be but like people were not expecting this level of um like the grotesqueness of the uh the effects 
yeah, and like I said, it comes out the middle of summer. Like, that's when your big Hollywood blockbusters came out. And again, it had a $15 million budget at the time. That's that's not pennies at that point. And it underperformed. And it had some heavy competition. But, like, if you look at John Carpenter's career, like, this was kind of the pivotal movie for him. Like, he, he comes out with Dark Star and Assault on Pre-Sig 13. Haven't seen either of them yet. We're definitely going to do those at some point because, mm. like I said, John Carpenter's one of my favorite directors. And again, kind of lukewarm reaction initially, which, again, eventually turned into critical success later. Uh, he comes out with Halloween after that. One of the biggest slasher films of all time. Were there even slasher films before? Not Were really. They, they probably no. weren't known as they, slasher. Like, yeah, he, he made he made the genre. He essentially made the genre. Like you had your Psycho um, back in the sixties, and and this is kind of a, a callback to what's that? Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah, it's Hitch, Hitchcock. So so that's a little bit of a callback there. But then after that, he releases The Fog, which maybe people of our generation might think of the two thousand and five remake which was garbage oh, apparently but ori- like the original the fog is supposed to be very very good i haven't they heard of the fog out- then yeah uh i think i've seen parts of the remake of it but I'll- we'll watch the original sometime after that he comes out with escape from new york fantastic Loved action it. movie love it absolutely again kind of a mixed reception on his films finds his his, its place in cinema a little bit later in life so you know he, as each of these film comes out his budget's getting bigger and bigger and then he gets the thing and and they throw more money at him and it comes out and does relatively bad and and so after, even though it was so perfect <laughs> oh so good it was just too ahead of its time people it weren't was, ready absolutely and so and so again he releases a few other movies after that he does the christine adaption of stephen king novel he does starman which again pans uh but finds critical acclaim later in life big trouble in little china i had a lot of fun with that film and then they live which is has a crazy trailer and i'd I'd really like to see your thought on that. And I think we'll have to do that one again. But after that, he kind of fades into obscurity in the 90s. He releases a couple of movies, uh, for example, like Escape from L.A., which is basically just Escape from New York 15 years later in a different scene. Uh, and, And then after that, there's a couple other movies that do poorly they don't have good critical reception ever and and that's it that's that's his career like it just kind of downhill trajectory after the thing which is really disappointing so like i said this film was not received well so i personally wanted to kind of dive into maybe why it wasn't received well so i watched the trailer i looked at the movie poster all of that um i thought the trailer was a fairly good representation of the movie it wasn't it wasn't like a, a shitty action or 80s movie where it was just like all narrator and and I don't know if you've watched a lot of 80s movie trailers, but I think 
a lot of 80s movies trailers are bad yeah in it, my it's opinion. like in a time exactly those and, kind of things yeah and it's just it's i don't know it's it's too cringe back then but i thought i thought it did a good job of representing what the movie was about and the best part of the trailer was the end of it the tagline for the movie and i told you that i was gonna wait to tell you this during recording so, so the tagline for the trailer that gave me shivers when it popped up on screen, it said, man is the warmest place to hide. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's so good. Oh, man. It, it's, it's just, it's so gross feeling. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's relevant completely to like the whole theme the whole movie yeah absolutely absolutely man hmm. is the warmest place to hide and the movie poster so i kind of wanted to have this as a segment i think this is going to have to be a little mini segment within our segments so i looked at a few different versions uh because different movies have different movie posters depending on which country they're releasing in so the american version of this uh is probably my favorite image it has kind of the man in his full like antarctic outfit and then there's kind of a lot of blue going on in the background and his face instead of showing his face is just like a white glow coming out so it's kind of a it's kind of a neat movie movie poster i don't know that it really necessarily draws you in or gives you an idea of what's happening the color tones are nice for it doesn't give away the image of the alien which is kind of nice because i i think that's something that audiences are always drawn into to see like ooh, how is the alien going to be kind of represented in this film like that that's important to audiences yeah so overall it's not my favorite poster by any means but i wouldn't be ashamed of having the poster up on my wall i uh in university i i had a wall of movie posters and when we moved into this place i was kind of hoping to do something similar i haven't done it yet there's there's a few spots that i have available on the walls for it so i, I could see myself putting this up but it, it wouldn't be the top of my movie poster pictures yeah that's fair i think some of the alternate versions that if you google the thing movie poster there's some really cool other versions the japanese and one do you see the one with the little red kind of wispiness and it's the earth that one kind of gives me like alien vibes with the yeah. the the green egg uh, i kind of like that one. i see what you mean yeah. yeah all right let's talk sequels prequels and reboots so this film is a reboot of sorts it's based on the book who goes there by John Campbell. It's a novella written in 1938. There was actually an original film released that came out in 1951 called The Thing from Another World. And and this is a very loose adaption. Comes out in 1951, kind of mixed reception there. It doesn't do super well at the time, but this again, kind of weird track record. This film goes on to become a kind of a cult classic. It's it's known critically as one of the best films of 1951 and actually one of the best films of the 1950s like the best sci-fi films hmm. so uh, this could be a film that we m may have to watch in the future like maybe the one year anniversary yeah i'd be down that sounds like yeah like i've i i, I was sick once and i would watch just like a really old uh alien movie and it was just horrible <laughs> but it was so like i was just entranced because of like 
imagining how um, people who would be viewing it back then were like, this is amazing. And I was like, like this, it was from like 1930s or 40s. And I was like, it's just a guy in a green suit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see the original thing then, or the thing from another world another world okay. yeah they, it's like i said very loose adoption uh, at this time um whereas john carpenter decided to stay a lot closer to the source material so so this is a more accurate reflection of who goes there i think the main difference that i read was the cast of the novella i think there was maybe almost 40 scientists in the research facility but john carpenter John Carpenter decided to keep it a little bit tighter so that you got to know each of the characters a little bit better to make the changes and and what happens to each character more impactful, Mm. essentially. The other thing with it is he decided not to have any female cast, which is is going to stand out a little bit in in 2021. And and part of the reason for that is because he didn't want to have a love interest. He didn't want to have to shoehorn a love interest in there. And that's kind of what the studios would have wanted at that time right there kind of was a love interest between clark and the dog (laughs) (laughs) you could say yeah you could say man and then uh reboot and and prequel actually the thing 2011 so this acts as a prequel it's the the norwegian team actually finding the thing in the ice oh cool yeah, don't watch this movie. Horrible reception, and and maybe later on it'll get a better reception like this film. But I th- I think part of the excitement in this film is the mystery behind what happened to the Norwegian team. Like we find out little bits and pieces at the beginning when they go and investigate the uh, the Norwegian research facility. Yeah, but. You're kind of treading through a lot of familiar territory watching the thing kind of infect various members of of the group. Yeah, and how they react to it and whatnot. It's probably, yeah, it's the thing over again. Yeah. Yeah. If they didn't recreate it, like if they didn't um, really expand upon something or go deeper into something then they probably couldn't have done a good job if like was it wasn't John Carpenter who uh, did the remake. Yeah, think of it as the reboot similar to like Jurassic Park, I would say. Like the Jurassic World doesn't really add much to the the series that hasn't treaded over already basically like the original jurassic park is a great film jurassic world it it basically just hits the same plot points and beats except with more kids basically yeah and that's basically just um pandering to the audience so so at this point in time i think that's kind of our hardcore look into the thing as spoiler free as we can make it for a movie that came out 40 years ago. At this point in time, if you haven't seen the film already, I highly recommend you going and watching it. It's currently streaming on Netflix, so that's where you want to go see it. It just went up uh, within the last three weeks or so, so it should be on there for the next little while. Otherwise, I 
if you don't have Netflix, you can always rent it on various other streaming sites like Apple or or Prime. One other spot that it's currently streaming, if you have a Stars subscription through probably Prime, there might be one through Apple or just through your own TV box thing. You can stream it free through there nice so that being said i think we're gonna get into a little bit of spoilers now so if you want to stop here go watch the film and come back it's a great time to do that you've already heard a little bit uh, like we've spoiled like quite a bit but also just like the minor details of what we're spoiling so uh either way just go watch it yeah all right let's talk Spoilers! Alright, so the end. The end. This is basically what we're talking about for those of you who are still on here at this point. Do you wanna do you wanna go and dive into it a little bit to start? Where would you say the end starts, I guess? I would I would say probably like the major transition is when he does the blood test. Yeah, I agree. And then from there you're like like yeah, like everyone's starting to get picked off. Um the major crazy scenes happen after mm-hmm. that. I, I think, I mean, at that point as well, we kind of have an idea who is and who isn't the thing. And again, this is where Blair's off kind of doing his thing. And there's, I think there's one other character at that specific point who may be off doing his thing. So we don't really know what's happening with them, but we know that the kind of that core group of characters who are kind of sticking it out together are aren't infected at this point in time and that's the thing we don't know how long it takes for someone to get infected Mm -hmm. some of them it it kind of shows how long they catch on that the person is infected and they uh kill them Mm -hmm. and then like the thing inside them is already replicating and it's like kind of rips out of the body of that person and you're like that almost looks like uh, what's his name? Yeah, like it has the hair, but it it's like a grotesque face and it's dripping and everything. I'm sure it's similar to how different like illnesses really work in the real world because this okay. is a virus essentially, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it's in your bloodstream and it takes over. And I imagine depend depending on how much of that viral load you get is how much or how quickly you're going to be infected. Like we saw during the scene with the blood test, the one guy starting to get infected very quick and he's just covered head to toe in the infected blood. Right? Oh, yeah. And and the other thing is a lot of the infections take place off screen. So like you said, like we don't see that that process of somebody becoming affected and, and how like how it might mutate you and then kind of bring you back to what what you generally look like normally at that point in time so i would say that's that's probably the beginning of act three what i really like about this film as well is is like i said end of act one the biologist realizes that if this gets out then humanity is screwed. So that that calculation, he, it shows 75% chance that somebody's already infected and by the end of Act 1. And then the computer estimates that the whole world will be infected if it gets out within 2,700 hours. So I did the math on that. That's about three years, just mm. over three years. Is kind of interesting. So, so with that knowledge, he is so shocked and so kind of amazed 
and and uh, terrified of that knowledge that he ends up sabotaging the whole base which is really an interesting callback later because blair while locked up in that other space is actually building a new alien spacecraft yeah, to yeah. fly out of there and who knows if he's going to infect the rest of the world or if he's just trying to get, get off home, earth yeah um you to go home yeah but <laughs> phone home but we we don't really know or personally i don't really know at which moment blair becomes infected i don't think at the point where he's sabotaging things that he's infected no he yeah he i think he was infected while he was in the shed because it was only unlockable from the outside mm-hmm there's a there's a point where I think like McCready goes back out there and the guy's like, Hey, I'm safe. Blair's like, Hey, I'm I was sick, but I'm I'm okay now. I think then he might be. So question for you. Were there any characters that you were sure infected or not infected that were infected? Um Clark. Oh yeah. He wasn't. Clark was not infected. No. He's the dog and he's handler. The, yeah, and he's the one that Blair was like, watch Clark. Yeah. And the, uh, the whole yeah. movie, it really hints that Clark may be infected. He and even, I believed it. Second watch through, I thought Clark was yeah, infected. He even, um, like, he's kind of like the loner of the group. He hangs yeah. out with the dogs. Like, he makes sure they're all okay. And, like, yeah, like, he, you don't see him interacting with many people except for... Blair, when he's being questioned after yeah. the dogs are all attacked. And and really, at that point, like, he's got a suspicious look on his face yeah. kind of thing. So, so that they really did a good job of making you think that it was Clark. And then it was that other guy. I don't even remember the other guy's name, to be honest. Yeah. I was not expecting the person who did get infected to be the infected one during the blood scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because everyone thought it was Gary, the guy who was previously in charge of the base. Like, yeah. he seemed like the head honcho. Yeah. Um, so, so next watch through, I'm going to... Sp- I think that was the person who was the silhouette who was the initial uh, infected oh, yeah, person yeah. by the dog. I'm going to pay special attention to who he gets aligned with mm-hmm. during those scenes. Yeah. So at the end, they they decide to blow up the base. We've already talked about that. They're setting up the charges and everything, and one of them goes off alone because he hears something, and leaves like one guy in the middle. And then there's McCready who's setting up like the initial charges. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two are further into like the cave below, or like the storage area below where the generator is and everything. Mm-hmm. The one guy kind of disappears, and then. Blair shows up. Yeah, what a surprise. He just reaches into the guy's face. Inside of his mouth, basically. Yeah, but but also, like, through the skin around his mouth. Oh, it's visceral. And, yeah, and, like, the guy dies, basically. And you just see, like, it flashes to another scene of, I want to say, McCready is, like, doing something, and you see Blair... Dragging this guy by the when, face yeah, skin. It's McCready and Blair are setting the charge. Or, sorry, McCready and Windows are setting the yeah. charges still. No, Windows is dead. Oh, wasn't it Windows? No, it's the other guy. I forget the guy's name. But anyways, yeah, you just see this guy getting dragged by the face. Like, all of his face and neck skin is just stretched. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's just pulling the whole weight with this guy's face skin. And it's just... 
gloriously brutal. Yeah. Was it Nulls or Gary? It was Gary. Gary. Nulls yeah. Nulls goes farther in. Uh-huh. Um because he hears something, and that's the only gripe you could have with that's this. That's the only gripe. I agree. Yeah, is that, like, that's the only plot hole, is that sometimes people, like, very rarely, but it happens a few times, where people are like, I'm just going to go off by my own just yeah. for a second. Yeah. And then, yeah. Well, you could make the argument, so so when the first guy goes off... I, I think you can make the argument there that, you know, they're splitting up to, to set the charges as fast, fast as possible because their plan in is at this point, we're not going to survive this. We've recognized this. We can't, we don't know who's infected and who's not. There's people who are in our team who are somewhere out there. Yeah. Let's just blow this all to hell and leave nothing left Um, because what they realize is that this thing is actually has realized that it's probably not going to survive either. Yeah. So it'll freeze itself in the ice because remember, going back to the beginning, it's been frozen in the ice for 10,000 years. So we know that this thing can regenerate after long periods of time. Yeah. So it thinks, let's go back into hibernation. Let's wait until the rescue team comes and then we'll get out of yeah. here. Yeah. So they decide, let's blow this all to hell. So I, I think you can make an argument that that the first guy who gets the mouth infection is going off to to just set some more charges. Yeah. It's the second guy who, and the, and this is the one spot that I'll say that you know maybe it's it it's not the best decision here to go yeah. and investigate that that pulling away of the body basically. Yeah. But yeah, that's a great scene. Yeah. And then uh, just to wrap up, I think we yep. can talk about just the very fine, like how the movie is finished. Yes, absolutely. So the way the movie ends, the whole facility, they blow it all to hell. Amazing shot of this blowing up. Oh, amazing shot. And like I said, that actually happened. And that's the beauty mm-hmm. of, of not having CGI is you get to actually do this and you have to make it look as real as possible. And if, if you want something similar from the 2000s, I believe a lot of Mad Max Fury Road is filmed in that yeah. way as well. Yeah. So so that's kind of a maybe something to compare of explosion-wise. So they blow up the whole facility. McCready kind of crawls out of the wreckage. And at that moment, Childs returns. And both of them kind of share this moment basically together as as the whole place burns to the ground. And they know they're both going to freeze to death. Yeah. So, like, he, McCready comes out with a bottle of uh, whiskey. And then yeah. Childs kind of stumbles up. And, like, they both know they're about to freeze to death. Yeah. And and um, they're being heated currently by the fire, the, mm-hmm. the massive fire, and it's like minus forty out. Yeah, yeah. One more thing: as he's blowing up the place, mm-hmm. he gets attacked by the thing, like the last ditch attempt before the explosion happens. Yeah. Th- do you think is that the dog thing at that point? That's kind of yeah. Like I think it's like the full amalgamation of whatever of the, everything uh, of everything mm. that the the thing can become. It, yeah. It, like, tunneled under the earth towards him like like some kind of worm monster mm-hmm. and then uh he throws the one lit piece of dynamite that he has and he's like yeah fuck you too yeah so uh, i wonder if the the cult classic tremors got maybe some inspiration from this film as well during that scene 
Oh, um, probably. And again, that's a great movie. We're going to have to watch that at some point. But I guess don't watch it until we talk about it. So let's dive into the ending a little bit. Are both of them the thing? Are neither of the thing? Is one of them the thing? What are your thoughts? I think, actually, at this point, my theory still holds weight where he's an alcoholic and maybe... <laughs> the alcohol has prevented him from becoming the thing and mm. nobody else really realizes that other people do drink throughout the film, but uh-huh. he, he's like saturated. He's emptied <laughs> bottles. He's, you have to be so buttery yeah, to and, not be infected. And Your liver. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like in uh, the princess bride where the dread pirate Roberts has taken the poison so much that he's not inf- impacted oh, yeah. by it. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's a classic. So I've, I've done some research on this in the past about the ending. My, my favorite theory is that while we watch them light fires to the whole base mm-hmm. and while they set the charges, they used empty bottles of scotch it filled with gasoline to light fires Mm. and to get as big an explosion as possible. So at the end, McCready hands Childs a bottle of scotch. We don't know what's in that scotch. It could be alcohol or Mm. it could be gasoline. And if you're the alien, do you know the difference when you drink it? So, yeah, yeah. so the movie ends. He hands him the bottle of scotch. Childs takes the drink, and McCready sits there and laughs. Yeah, and that's how yeah. it ends. So, so I think the popular theory is that McCready, in that moment, realizes that Childs the thing, but it doesn't even matter at this point. Yeah, because he can't do anything more. Yeah, yeah. So that's a cool theory. And like, I can see it going either way, but like, I like the theory. I, that's my favorite theory. John Carpenter has gone on record and said, there is an answer to this. I'm not going to share it though. Yeah, of course. Uh, Which is really interesting. I really love that. Yeah. So it's one of those movies where it does end uh, with like no explanation. It's it's ambiguous. Ambiguig. <laughs> I can't say it. Can you say it? Ambiguous. <laughs> ambiguous. It's a very ambiguous ending, and that also it was criticized when it came out, and audiences didn't like it. They actually did a lot of tests of the ending and and they realized that the nihilistic endings actually were the worst reviewed Mm. um they had they actually had even like a happy ending where mccready goes off and and lives and there's a few different endings but in the end john carpenter just decided that that his ending ending ambiguous like that was the best ending and was the way to to really end it basically yeah and honestly it's a thrill like it's a thriller suspenseful scary movie you should kind of expect that and you're supposed to kind of like you're supposed to leave not knowing Mm-hmm. whoever is upset about that it's like i don't know just go watch a few more movies and get used to it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but this was really one of the first kind of dark movie endings i would say um i can't really think of too many films it it didn't feel that like desolate or anything like that i don't think it it really like it didn't like hammer anything like crazy home at the end i think it could have been like that's like it wasn't the perfect ending i don't think i see here's the thing it 
is it ends with almost every character dying. And if you think of like other horror movies at this time, like even Halloween, there's there's a lot of death, but in the end, the hero makes it. Like Halloween, I can't remember her name, but she's the sister of Mike Myers. She she makes it yeah, uh, and yeah. she survives. Whereas in in this case, the characters recognize that they're not going to make it. Yeah. So, they sit there and they have a drink and they wait for death. It just didn't feel heavy enough after like, like, I, I don't know if he just didn't get the chance to like, uh, he seemed to like his own ending. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I think he could have like, I don't know, maybe it needed more suspense after that big main action thing because uh-huh. he like throughout the film, he like built up the suspense and then hit you hard with something. Right. And uh, if he did that, but like built up like, a little bit more of something and then hit you hard with like uh like more of a question like instead of like oh we just don't know mm-hmm. that's the i'm only thinking from the perspective of like the audience in that moment i right. still like i didn't mind the ending i didn't hate it mm-hmm. i like thinking about it later yeah like i i always enjoy those uh endings so this this is definitely a film that makes you think afterwards absolutely yeah. So I'm just reading here as well that the novella, the way it ended with the humans decisively winning, however, they see birds flying towards the mainland that potentially could be infected by the thing. So it leaves a little bit yeah, of ambiguity yeah. as well, but I think it was it was necessary. I don't think the they should have won this one because of like the it was it was a it was a good story and mm-hmm. i think like the the way he came up with how the thing spreads and like what it what the thing is was good and mm-hmm. it should continue and like the question should always be there i think that's everything thanks for hanging out with us like Blake and Jason VCR Vintage Cinema Rewind the Surfers podcast i'm Jason and i'm Blake the plan is to kind of start with a, a bi-weekly kind of release. You're going to get this one out probably before Halloween. Next one, probably early to mid-November. We're thinking probably E.T. Carrying on kind of to maybe contrast this film a little bit. It's kind of a good kind of segue a little bit there. So feel free to watch that uh, as well prior to but otherwise if you're looking for a discussion of films you know where to come now yeah thanks for listening thanks all right